Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Hi, Gateway family. Welcome to Church Online. Again, we are thrilled that you have taken time to join us from wherever you are. And uh, speaking of wherever you are, we would love to hear from you. If you're watching this from somewhere overseas, please give us a call or a text or just uh, send us an email. We'd love to know where you are and where you're listening. In this series, I've uh, so far covered, if I were God, I would stop the pain and suffering. And we took a while to consider that. It's a lengthy topic. It's a very difficult one. Um, We also considered if I were God, uh, I would make evidence for my existence uh, a good deal clearer. In this message, I want to carry on. And when when I was thinking about this series, I actually talked to our leadership team and asked for some suggestions. And one of them suggested uh, that if I were God, I would answer more prayers. Initially, I dismissed that as too difficult, but came back to it, and uh, that's what we're going to tackle today. If I were God, I would answer more prayer. So we are looking at the whole mystery of unanswered prayer. I'm sure most of you know this already, but just in case you don't, uh, I I am completely completely out of my depth in, in these subjects. Uh, the mystery of unanswered prayer is, rec- in, in fact, way above my pay grade. However, never let it said, uh, be said that I missed an opportunity to make a complete fool of myself, uh, and I'm going to leap in. Uh, as with other topics uh, in this series, I suspect that I probably will give you a 64-cent answer to a $64 million question, and you may well end up with a good deal more questions than you do have answers. But let's tackle the subject. If I were God, I'd answer more prayers. When I hear people say things like that, I can't help but think of a movie that came out a few years ago called Bruce Almighty. It presents a Hollywood version of what might happen if God entrusted his supernatural power to an ordinary human being. Bruce Nolan, who was played by Jim Carrey, was a TV presenter, and he rages against God after a series of mishaps in his life and basically says he could fix my life in five minutes if he really wanted to. Well, Nolan gets summoned to an empty building, the home of Omnipresence Incorporated, where he encounters God himself in the form of actor Morgan Freeman. God has decided to let Bruce try being God for a week and to see if he can improve things. Well, initially, Bruce uses his power trivially, uh, capriciously, like a magic genie out of a bottle. He clears a pathway through traffic for his sports car. He teaches his dog to use the toilet correctly. He gets gets revenge on fellow employees and on the ruffians who once beat him up. On one occasion, to impress his girlfriend, who's played by Jennifer Aniston, he lassoes the moon and pulls it near to enhance the romantic mood, not uh, being completely unaware that he causes a tidal wave in Japan. He hears thousands of prayers uh, and ultimately says yes to everyone who prays to win the lottery, creating 400,000 winners and diluting the grand prize to almost nothing. In the end, Bruce learns an appreciation for the complexity of prayer as well as a new sense of humility and inadequacy. 
Someone once asked uh, the famous Indian Mahatma Gandhi, if you were given the power to remake the world, what would you do first? And he replied, I would pray for the power to renounce that power. It took Bruce Nolan a little while longer to come to the same conclusion. As I said, when looking at the subject of unanswered prayer, we're on the mystery of holy ground, or in my case, perhaps holy thin ice. Why doesn't God answer more prayers? Well, the first thing I would want to say is that he generally doesn't answer prayers that aren't prayed. In James chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. I suspect that we tend to blame God for things that actually lie a lot closer to home. One of the primary reasons, I think, that we don't see as much answered prayer as we would like to actually relates to our prayerlessness. We may well be one of the most technologically advanced churches in the history of the world, but I suspect also we would qualify for those who prayed least. And in the Western church, at, at, at least, personal and corporate prayer languishes. I'm sure there are many, many reasons for that state of affairs. One, however, I think may be related to the way we see God, particularly to the way we see God's sovereignty. <clears throat> many, of us have, many of us have been taught, either directly or indirectly, that God has a sovereign plan, a blueprint, if you like, that his will is being worked out in minute detail in the world. Every minute detail is according to that plan. One well-known evangelical scholar argued for that meticulous sovereignty by saying, if there's one single molecule in the universe running around loose, then perhaps just that one maverick molecule will lay waste all the grand and glorious plans that God has made and promised to us. So, the implication is that even that molecule, the last of the molecules, God meticulously controls. God is almighty and self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is one of God's essential attributes, and he doesn't need anything from anybody outside of himself. He spoke the world into being, and he upholds it with the word of his power, moving it relentlessly toward his ultimate purpose. But if that's true, what does that possibly mean for prayer? What, what difference could prayer possibly make? Surely God will do what he has purposed that he will do. And it's a more a ke seirah seirah kind of theology, more akin to Doris Day than the Bible. Actually, it's very similar to Islam's fate. Allah willed it. The scholars who hold this view of God uh, and God's meticulous sovereignty, openly admit that prayer doesn't change God's unalterable purposes. Rather, prayer is primarily for our benefit. Prayer, they say, is the means by which God changes us, but not his purposes. In a view like this, and I suspect many more people have been impacted by it than they know, what place is there for intercession and petition? I think such a view actually robs people of their motivation to pray. Scholar Walter Wink says this, Before that unchangeable God whose will is fixed from all eternity, intercession is ridiculous. There is no place for intercession with a God whose will is incapable of change. Now, what I'm about to say deserves a much fuller treatment than I'm about to give it in a few very brief sentences. 
I think the scripture teaches that from all eternity, God purposed that his son should have an eternal companion. Described by John in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 9, as the bride, the lamb's wife. That eternal companion is to share the bridegroom's throne, ruling and reigning with him. That process of ruling and reigning isn't just a matter of then and there, but it is to be entered into in the here and now. Redeemed humanity, the bride, as John described her, have been invited into a full partnership with him, not in the making of the divine decisions, but in the implementation of them in the affairs of history. And the primary means by which that implementation takes place is prayer. The responsibility and the authority for the enforcement and the administration of these divine decisions has been placed on the, on the shoulders of the church. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 19, Jesus says, Peter, you are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth is a no in heaven. It seems that God's will is something like a business check, if you like, that must be co-signed in order to be validated. And we, the church, are the co-signers. The enforcement and the administration, the co-signing, is the exercise of prayer. Prayer doesn't just change us, although, of course, it does that as well. Prayer changes history, personal histories, corporate histories. Paul Bilheimer, in his brilliant little book, Destined for the Throne, boldly claims, the church is the key to and the explanation of history. History is the handmaiden of the church. But that is only true if we believe in the power of prayer to change things. John Wesley believed in the power of prayer to change things. He believed that prayer was a vital factor in the unfolding of God's will on the earth and said God will do nothing but an answer to prayer. Now, it might seem outrageous for some of you to hear me saying or John Wesley saying God needs our prayers. But I suspect that that is as much the subtle impact of that sovereignty teaching, as I mentioned before, as anything else. Now, I hasten to add that if God needs anything, it is because God chooses to need it. God, by his own choice, needs us to partner with him in prayer if certain things are going to happen. Now, clearly he could have created a completely different world, one in which he didn't need prayer or any creaturely involvement for that matter in order for his purposes to be realized. But I believe he has chosen to need our participation in prayer. The prayer of God's people is part of the general covenant of freedom that the Lord grants and that he genuinely binds himself to. I believe he chose to create a world, a somewhat risky world, in which some things genuinely hinge on what free agents do, in our case, through the power of prayer. Let me give you two examples, one positive and one negative, one where a person prayed, one where people didn't pray. God was about, in both instances, to judge the nation of Israel. In the first, Moses prays and changes the course of history. 
Psalm 106 verse 23 says, So the Lord declared that he would destroy them. But Moses, his chosen one, stepped into the breach between the people and their God. By the way, as an aside, stepping into the breach or stepping into the gap in the scriptures is usually described or usually describes the process of someone interceding. Someone stepping in between two parties and interceding that what was about to happen would be changed. So Moses, his chosen one, steps into the gap, into the breach between the people and their God and begs him to turn from his wrath and not destroy them. God heard that prayer and the people were spared. In the second instance, there is nobody to step into the gap. There is nobody to pray. And as a result, God's judgment, a judgment that he was quite willing to change, remains unchanged. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so that I wouldn't have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all that they have done. Prayer changes history. It's important that we as the people of God enter into and be a people willing at times to stand in the gap. Though we are unequivocally under God's lordship, this lordship is a lordship of love that seeks to strengthen us and not simply destroy us. You know, every true interpersonal relationship requires that both parties involved are genuinely involved in the relationship and empowered. When one party is wholly divested of power and dominated by the other, then the dominated person becomes depersonalized. By definition, a relationship like that is impersonal and not interpersonal. I think God seeks not only to influence us, but to genuinely empower us in this love relationship to the extent that we can influence him. The essence of prayer, as Jesus taught it, is for us to align our will with the Father's will and co-sign his will so that it is established as on earth, as in heaven, so on earth. Now I can, I can perhaps hear somebody saying, well, Don, you know, I just believe that God is in control. All this other stuff, that's nah, a bit complicated for me. I just think he works out things for my good, as Romans 8 says. I don't feel the need to pray earnestly and passionately and tirelessly. I just trust God to work things out. Well, I'm sorry, but that amounts to theologized passivity. You have to see Romans 8 in its whole context. Let me read it to you, verses 26 through 28. It says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me try and paraphrase this if I can. Firstly, we all regularly face things that we don't really know how to pray about. Secondly, the Holy Spirit in those instances will dramatically assist our prayer. 
Thirdly, by means of that Holy Spirit-inspired intercession, God's purposes and power are introduced into a situation so that things that otherwise wouldn't have worked out good can now work out good. A different result becomes realizable than would have been the case if circumstances were merely surrendered to without prayer. So to hear people say, well, God works everything for good. Sorry, but it's based on the fact that prayers are prayed and and a a result becomes realizable that would not have been had we not prayed. Now, much more could and probably should be said, but the point that I'm really trying to make is that it's no point complaining about God not answering prayer when in reality we as a people are not committed to it. I think there would be a lot more answered prayer if there were a lot more prayer, passionate prayer, tireless prayer. If, he, if, if we don't, then, then he won't. We don't have, James says, because we don't ask. Secondly, another reason for unanswered prayer, the Bible makes clear that prayer may go unanswered because of a flaw in the person praying rather than in the prayer prayed itself. Now, I hasten to say God clearly does not require sinlessness as a prerequisite to answered prayer. If he did, we would all be sunk. However, I suspect that there are often areas of our lives that God has been persistently dealing with us about. He's been speaking to us and we have basically ignored or resisted him. That can lead to a blockage in our relationship and a disruption of our communication. Reminds me of a story I once heard about Norman Vincent Peale. When Peale was a boy, he found a big black cigar and he slipped into an alley and lit it up. It didn't taste good, he said, but it made him feel very grown up. And then suddenly he saw his father coming. Quickly, he put the cigar behind his back and tried to be casual. In a deliberate attempt to divert his father's attention, he pointed to a billboard that was advertising a circus that was coming to town. Can I go, Dad? Please, when it comes to town, would I be able to go to the circus? His father's reply taught Norman a lesson that he never forgot. The father said, Son, quietly but firmly, Never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smouldering disobedience behind your back. You know, Psalm 51 records David's plaintive cry after his failure with Bathsheba, and it is a cry for reconnection with God after his sin had clearly broken it. Psalm uh, Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now I think the key word there is the word cherished. This isn't a, a sin that a person has fallen into. This is a pattern of sin that is cultivated and held dear and that we are quite unwilling to desist from. Such a pattern can break communion. James chapter 4 verse 3 tells us that prayer can be hindered and go uh, unanswered because of personal sin. He says, yet even when you do pray, your prayers are not answered because you pray for just selfish reasons. God also flatly declares that in addition to our own personal spiritual state, that our social concern, or rather lack of it, can impact and and have a bearing on our prayers being received. 
So Proverbs chapter 21 verse 13 says, If you won't help the poor, don't expect to be heard when you cry, when you cry out for help. And Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15 says, When you put on your next prayer performance, God says, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because you are tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. And then, of course, in Psalm, and, and sorry, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter says, Likewise, you husbands, live considerately, considerately with your wives, giving honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they too are also heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, it might seem strange that social and domestic issues may result in unanswered prayer. But if we are learning to company with God, then how we treat the people round about us really matters. And when we are resistant and hard-hearted toward them, it opens the possibility that God will be that toward us. Now, if you're anything like me, at this point, you're probably tempted to throw up your hands in horror and give up on the idea of prayer altogether. I'll never get my prayers answered. I'm simply not good enough. Again, I hasten to say this is not anywhere near sinless perfection that we are talking about. All relationship with God rests on his great mercy and grace. And you can come with confidence, not wondering if some past sin years ago is going to count against you and against your prayers. Once you go down that rabbit hole, um, you end up paranoid and fearful. Reminds me of a line in one of Travis's songs where they say, why does it always rain on me? Was it because I lied when I was 17? We, we don't need that kind of paranoia. We can come with confidence. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. I think what we are talking about here are persistent patterns that God has been clearly speaking to you about and that you are knowingly resisting. Thirdly, I think some prayer goes unanswered because of the, uh, of the dark powers that are contending against the rule of God. The Bible teaches that the world is caught up in a cosmic war and that prayer is fundamentally a warfare activity. There are things that happen behind the scenes, as it were. And to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to pray against the other wills that are wanting that will to be done in resistance and opposition to the Father's will. These opposing wills are actually significant. In Daniel chapter 10, we have the story of Daniel's prayers being resisted by a demonic force called the Prince of Persia. And that demonic power actively attempted to frustrate God's will and God's purpose and succeeds for at least 21 days. I suspect the reason that some prayers go unanswered is nothing to do with us not praying in the will of God or how profound or weak a person's faith is. I think Daniel here is praying in the will of God. He's praying with effective faith and according to, to what God has instructed him, but, but there is no immediate answer. Far too often, especially we Westerners, ignore the role of the principalities and powers in answered prayer specifically and life in general. Prayer is not simply a two-way transaction. 
Again, scholar Walter Wink says, what God is able to do in the world is often hindered to a considerable extent by the rebellious resistance and self-interest of the powers exercising their freedom under God. If we lack that cosmic warfare perspective when it comes to prayer and we opt for this Islamic omni-controlling God who is working out in fastidious detail and minute detail his blueprint plan, then we will, we will tend to attribute to God what actually comes from the powers of darkness. Prayer that ignores the powers end up, ends up blaming God for the evils committed by those powers. Rather than a meticulously controlling uh, all things, God is willing to influence all things so that they ultimately do work for good, conditioned on our willingness to pray. A fourth reason that God um, often uh, doesn't answer prayers can be traced, I think, to the mystifying respect that he has for human freedom and his absolute refusal to coerce people. Influence, he will. Coerce, he won't. And I think perhaps all I can counsel here is don't give up. Don't give up on prayer. Persist. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. You know, on, on a personal level here, we, we prayed for my dad to be saved, to become a believer for well over two decades. And there were many times in those two decades that I wondered why we bothered. Ultimately, he did come to faith. And I'm so glad that we and other family members persisted in that, in that prayer. There, there are some things that I'm holding presently before the Lord that I have prayed for for a very, very long time. One would be for well over two decades I have lifted up a particular prayer request and another would be for now over four decades that I have held these things before the Lord and persisted in praying. Now you might be tempted to say, oh for goodness sake Don, why, why would you bother? Well, the reality is there is mystery in why some prayers get answered quickly and why some prayers take a long time. I think oftentimes we are like the little children who play the game of running up to a stranger's door, knocking, and then running away before the door is opened. You say, well, Don, four, four decades is a long time to wait at the door. Yep. It's true, it is a long time to wait at the door. Nevertheless, the thing that I'm praying for is that important to me, and I will not let it go. I, like some of you, have experienced rapid answers to prayer. A couple of months back, I was incredibly frustrated by a particular situation I faced, and I prayed an, an impassioned prayer in the car as I was driving home. Within 24 hours, that situation was spectacularly and quite supernaturally resolved. And I was so grateful, and in thanking God, um, I, unfortunately, I couldn't help thinking about the other two requests that I had waited for so long. You know, you answer that so quickly, this one takes so long, I don't understand. I do wonder if perhaps the Lord was thinking, you ungrateful little wretch. As I said in the beginning, this subject is well above my pay grade. I was having a discussion with somebody concerning unanswered prayer a while ago, and in a moment of frustration, they said to me, why bother? What's the point? I thought about that question a great deal, and I found myself thinking about the purpose of prayer. Obviously, we ask 
We petition, we intercede. That's part of what prayer is about. We long for situations to change. We long for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But as I reflected on it, I thought prayer is not only about getting things from God. It's actually about being with God. A significant point in prayer is simply companionship. It's being with him. You know, there's a parable in Matthew chapter 20. It runs from verse 1 through verse 16. You can read it afterwards if you'd like to. It's a parable that I've often reflected on. I I won't take time to read it. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's about laborers who were hired to work in a vineyard. A price was agreed on between the master and the laborers and they went out to work. The work was such that more laborers were needed and at various points during the day, the master went back to the marketplace and hired more laborers. Some were added very late in the day. When paytime came at the end of the day, the master paid them all the same amount. The, the laborers who had worked in the heat of the day all day complained because they weren't paid more than the laborers who were hired late in the day. Now, while they all received the same amount of money, there was one thing that the newbies didn't get that the laborers who had been there all day did. And it was simply this, the companionship of the master for the whole day. The long-serving laborers were focused on what they got rather than who they spent their time with. And I suspect we make the same mistake oftentimes. Yes, of course, we long for answers to our prayers. But you know what? There's one thing that I treasure above even the answer to my prayers. In fact, it is one of my most often prayed prayers. It's his favor and his friendship. Friendship comes with time spent together. We don't build a relationship on a sentence or two, hurriedly spoken every few days, or a brief text-like prayer each day. Conversation between friends is a constant stream, and it usually requires constant or rather significant periods of time spent in one another's company. Prayer, according to one ancient definition, is simply keeping company with. In 1 Chronicles chapter 27, there is a list of men who served in David's administration. And it says their name and then it gives the title or the area of responsibility that they had. And so there were men who were treasurers. There were those who oversee, oversaw the vineyard or the flocks and the herds. There was one who was David's counselor. There were generals. In verse 33 of that long list of names, there was one called Hushai. And all it says of Hushai was, Hushai the Archite was the king's friend. That moved me deeply when I saw that. I think that's a role worth coveting. I want to be God's friend. I hope, I hope that's your heart too. So that's our study this, in, in this session. If I were God, I would answer more prayers. Well, perhaps he answers as many as he's able to. He doesn't answer ones we don't pray. Perhaps the reason for some answer, unanswered prayer lies closer to home the quality of the prayer rather than the prayer prayed. Perhaps it lies in the resistance of dark powers that are set against the will of God. Perhaps it has to do with the mystifying respect that God has for human free will and his absolute refusal to coerce. 
perhaps we focus too much or even solely on getting things from God at the expense of learning to be with God. As mysterious as this thing called prayer is, it is our calling and our privilege. And we need to learn to co-reign with him in the place of prayer, in the here and now, and not just wait until the then and there. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.